Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 13. And kids, head to the kids' table if you haven't already. Pre-K, 4 through 3rd grade. Yeah, as Chelsea said, we had, uh, we had 813 registered people at, uh, at Light Up the Night, meaning they, they texted in, uh, scanned the code, texted in, told us how many people they had with them. Um, we had 15 to 20 texts that didn't have any number, so I made an assumption that there was one adult and one child at least, so that number is very likely, well, it is higher, and we know there were people that, that didn't text anything, so we're going to round up and say we probably had about a thousand folks. That matches uh, the amount of food. Not everybody got a hot dog, but we know we got rid of about 800 hot dogs, so, so yeah, a thousand folks in our parking lot over a course of two hours last Sunday night. We're already planning for next year. Uh, we're planning it to be even more evangelistic. Etta has some ideas of some things that we're going to be doing uh, while Light Up the Night is going on, and we'll talk about more, uh, that, that more later on. Yeah, 16 uh, in men's prayer yesterday. That's the highest number we've had since we've been doing it, and Jim, how long have we been doing it? Three, four years, something like that, uh, and 16 was the most, so we're excited about that. Keep me and Jaden and Justin Saltzman and Lee Bird in your prayers as we leave for Brooklyn tomorrow. Uh, we are going to uh, visit Brooklyn Tabernacle's prayer meeting, uh, Tuesday prayer meeting, their 1230 service and their 630 service, 1230 afternoon, 630 at night, to... Uh, see what the Lord says uh, about how we're going to have our own prayer meeting here. I emailed the church last week, and we're going to get to have a, a sit-down with Jim Cimbala, uh, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, to talk to him about that. So we're really excited about that. I hope I, I can, you know, remember the things I wanted to ask him when I get in there. Uh, so so y'all pray with us about what God is going to tell us and how he's going to lead us in the coming days. Uh, let's look at our memory verse this morning. I practiced this yesterday, and uh, I messed up. So, let's try it. Calling. I got that part, calling. <laughs> calling. Calling the crowd along with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever who wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to, wait, but who, whoever, time out, the last two lines, but whoever, did we, are we missing a, oh, that's right, but whoever loses his life, thank you. Last two lines, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Gospel, gospel. Okay. Mark 8, 34 and 35. We need to practice. Okay, I need to practice. It was the first part that I was messing up with, but I messed up at the end yesterday too. Oh, well, that's why we keep going over it, I and mean, we'll, we'll commit it to memory eventually. All right, yeah, we've got three weeks, that's right. Yeah, just in November, and then we're off to, to something else. We're off to Genesis again. Um, Mark 13, pre preparing for Jesus' return. 
Now, uh, I, I misread the, the uh, or I got an earlier uh, rendition of the, the Bible readings. Oh, everybody's just like that. Okay, so everybody said Mark 13. I'm not there yet, Pat. Back to the uh, uh, title slide, please, ma'am. Uh, everybody's said Mark 13, and that's, so I, pre- I began, the beginning of the, 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 began the week preparing all of the chapter. And then I was talking to Edda about it, I think Thursday, and she said, well, it's, no, it's just this, like, oh, well, that's shorter. But we really needed the whole thing. So we're going to be looking at the whole thing here. Now, we're, we're get, getting into this end times discussion. Now, the, the, the big word for end times study is eschatology. I'll give you a dollar next week if you can repeat that word to me. Then I'll immediately take the dollar back because you can't have it. Um, but that's your, that's your big word for the week, eschatology. Well, a couple more here. And there are four predominant views of how the world's going to end. You know, what's going to look like when, when Jesus comes back and what leads up to it. Those four views are called amillennialism, postmillennialism, historical premillennialism, and dispensational premillennialism. Now, we're not going to talk about all that today. I'm just giving you a little background. I'm not even going to get into the difference of, differences of them. I'm not going to tell you how what I'm going to say from Mark 13 fits into any one of those. That's not, that's not the point today. But what your particular view is affects how you approach this passage. Now, What you're going to have to do, or what we should always do when we come to Scripture, is not bring our particular view with us when we go to Scripture, but we go to Scripture, see what Scripture says, and that should affect our particular view. Now, there are a bunch of passages that talk about what's happening in the end. We've got a whole book of it in Revelation. Uh, Your Connect Group teacher may have taught something this morning that's going to sound a little different from what I'm teaching. That's okay. Like I said, there are four views, and we can disagree on that and still go to lunch afterward and not have any problem. We can all come together and worship and have different views on how everything's going to wrap up in the end. My goal this morning is to bring very little from other scriptures as we look at Mark. We're looking at what Mark says. And that's really the way we should do it. We should look at what the Scripture says, like I said, and then, then we pull back, okay, this is saying this. Then we go study somewhere else and, says, and we say, that is saying this. Now, how do these two things fit together? Do they mesh neatly, or does it seem like one says something different, or one says more than the other? Well, then we begin to make those connections and contrasts and come up with a system systematic theology. That's not what I'm going to do here, and we should develop our views based on what Scripture says, like I said, not take our view to Scripture. All right, so we're going to look at Mark this morning, just what Jesus says, and if Mark is chronological, Mark 11, chapter 11 through 13 is chronological, and it really seems to be, uh, this is during the week before uh, his crucifixion, we're, we're leading up to the crucifixion, then Mark 13 happens in the evening of them coming across the dead fig tree that morning. 
and he just cleansed the temple yesterday. Okay, so he cleansed the temple. It says they left the temple. They went back to Bethany. The next morning, they get up. They're going back to Jerusalem. They see the fig tree. Hey, Jesus, you see this? Uh, yeah, and he tells them about you know, all that that we talked about or all that that um, Blake Grundy talked about last Sunday. And then there's teaching in the temple in the area in chapter 12. Uh, the widow's gift is in there, the widow's might. And then they are leaving at the beginning of chapter 13. They're leaving the temple. They're heading back probably to Bethany, uh, back to where they're spending the night. Um, and the disciples ask this. They didn't ask a question. They made a statement. And Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach them. So this is a continuation, at least in part. It is a statement of judgment on the temple and its leaders. The night before he cleansed it, this evening he's telling, and it ain't even going to exist before too long. Uh, but it's also uh, that its usefulness, the temple's usefulness, is coming to an end. It will be a literal destruction, but when the, the curtain is rent in two from top to bottom as he dies on the cross, the temple has lost its purpose as a, uh, um, as a mediator, as a place to meet God, because at this point, from this point on, from Pentecost on, from the Holy Spirit's entrance into the disciples, we have Christ in us. We don't need a temple or a sacrificial system or, or a mediator because Jesus is our mediator. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So this disciple statement of, wow, isn't this impressive, presents an opportunity to teach about the future of the temple, which Jesus does, and the future of the world. Now the disciples and all the Jews in that day would have conflated those two things. If Well, if the temple's destroyed, the world's coming to an end. Those two things must go together. And that's why Jesus has to talk about the temple and talk about the end of time as two separate events. Because they are two separate events. Only one of those events was given a certain time frame. The other was given a certain responsibility. The temple will happen just like this. The destruction of the temple will happen just like this. I'm going to come back. Don't worry about the just how. Worry about the what you're supposed to be doing leading up to it. Which gives us our big idea this morning. Preparing for Jesus' return involves fulfilling the Great Commission, not figuring out the timing. That's our purpose. Jesus is coming back. When? We don't know. What's it going to look like? Not real sure. What are we supposed to be doing? Not worrying about that, but fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's read Mark chapter 13, the whole chapter, because we need to get the whole picture here as we dive in. Mark chapter 13. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look! What massive stones! What impressive buildings! Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting in the Mount of Olives across from the temple... Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told him, Watch out that no one deceives you. 
Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it's not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of the birth pains. But, be, but you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as witnesses to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter. For those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then, if anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see, there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angel in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. What Jesus apparently does here is with the statement of, of, of the disciples, he talks for an extended period about the destruction of the temple and then transitions without this transition statement. But this is basically what he's saying. But that's not the most important thing. I'm coming back. Okay? Keep that in mind. I'm coming back and you have a job to do. 
Then he talks about these signs. There are obvious signs about summer. There are obvious signs about the temple. But for my coming back, there aren't obvious signs. Could happen anytime. You keep working. That's the broad general outline here of what Jesus is saying. And remember that Mark is recording Peter's sermons. The Gospel of Mark is a, a record of the sermons Peter preached. Now, think about with me, when, when you've heard me preach, you, you may hear me preach for 30 minutes, 40, 45 and a half minutes, um, and in, in, in those minutes, I will focus on a passage, but at various times, I'll bring in verses from other places to, to bolster a point or to give an example or something like that. In Jesus' discourse here, in his teaching, it's pretty clear to, to scholars who study these things that Mark recording Peter, that Peter in his sermon telling what Jesus said is telling them Jesus sat us down, sat the four of us down, uh, James, John, Peter, Andrew, and he was teaching us these things. He said this and this and this and this. You know, he said this other thing one time too. And this and this and this, and that one reminds me, he said this other thing, yeah, and this and this, and Mark writes it down. Or it could be the case that Jesus said all of this in this order exactly the way Mark has it. But it seems like it's some, some different places that Jesus taught in this main passage. Why is that important? Well, because of the, what apparently are these sudden right and left turns from the topic. Temple, 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 but me. Uh, temple, me. They're abrupt. He doesn't give the transition statement like I said. The temple, yeah, it's going to disappear, but what you really need to focus on is when I come back. But that's what he teaches here. Temple, 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 me. Temple, temple, me. And ends with the me. All right, well, let's let's look at it now uh, since we've got that background and verses one through two. Everything has an end. He, the, the disciples are impressed by the temple, uh, but we know that the temple is not what it should have been. It, 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 he, he threw out the money changers, but most likely they were back the next day. The temple is not what it should have been. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. They've made it den of thieves. And they look at the temple and think, isn't this impressive? And they've still got this wrong idea of the Messiah. They're thinking Jesus will be impressed because before too long, he's going to bring his reign and the temple's going to be his, his uh, seat of power, right? Because that's the sort of Messiah they are expecting. So they've got this view of him and, and the temple as, as something that's permanent, And what they've tied their confidence in, the temple, will fail. As a matter of fact, everything that the disciples have tied their confidence to will fail, except Jesus. And that's the point he's making. The temple, for too long, it is going to be utterly destroyed. Just get ready. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell them, some of y'all are going to see it. I, though, I won't fail you, and I'm coming back. 
they haven't grasped the idea yet that he's even leaving, but that's what he's telling them. Everything has an end, he says. And then he goes on in verses 3 through 23 to tell them that the temple's end will be clear. It will be obvious when the temple is going to end. You won't have to question it. You won't have to wonder. It will be absolutely uh, obvious to everyone who sees it. Uh, Pat, go on to the next slide, please. The temple's end will be clear. And that's those 20 verses here that, uh, that Jesus or that Mark has recorded. The, these signs of the end of the age. These things that are going to happen. And he begins, my, uh, give me just a second, my tablet is not cooperating with me. There we go. First he tells them in verses 3 through 8 that what looks clear won't be. He says, you're, and he's, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. He's across the Kidron Valley. Jerusalem sits on this hill. You go down into the Kidron Valley. You go up to the Mount of Olives, and he's looking over the temple. And Josephus and others describe the temple as looking like a mountain caked in gold. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. They're sitting across from it. It's an impressive thing. And he's saying, it's going away. And all these things are going to happen. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, uh, people are going to come in my name in verse 5. They're going to say, I am. And our translation says here, I am he. But in fact, what that really translates to is, I am, instead of, I am he. They're going to come and say they're God. They're going to come and say they are the, the Messiah, and they aren't. So that's the, the first thing you need to watch for. And, and that's, you're going to think, wow, that's, that's, that's going to be a, a sign that, that Jesus is coming back. And then he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed. That has to happen. And it's going to happen, but that's not it either. Then you're going to hear of earthquakes in various places and famines. And you're going to think, well, surely Jesus is coming back now. No, no, no. This is just about the temple, number one. And number two, that's not even going to be the sign of it happening. It's going to look clear. And you're going to think, surely, but no. Verses 9 through 13. Then persecution is going to come. Then you are going to be brought before judges and governors and all of this. And we read Acts and we see it happening. And, and he says, you're, don't worry about what you're going to say. Even for this, he says, don't plan ahead. You, all this stuff's going to happen and you're, you're, you're not gonna, there aren't going to be any signs that this is happening. It's just going to start happening. And you're going to be brought before them. Don't worry. Don't, don't sit up at night studying. The Holy Spirit will give you the answers. We read Acts and we see that James and John and Peter are brought before magistrates and, and governors and uh, they ask them questions and, and they give answers and, and the people in charge go, these are just redneck fishermen. They, well, how in the world are they answering us like this? Because the Holy Spirit gave them what they were to say. But that persecution, he says, that's not a clear sign either. Temple's going to be destroyed. Wars and all this stuff, and nope, 
Not yet. Persecution and brought before the governors and everything? Nope. Not yet. Here's what you need to watch for. Here is the sign that you need to get out of Dodge, or in Jerusalem in this case. Verses 14 through 19. The sign for you to leave is when you see the abomination of desolation standing where, a lot of translations say it. That word is probably, well it is, based on the verb, is actually he. When this person is standing in in this abomination of desolation, which is a phrase from Daniel, the book of Daniel, that they would have known, that means awful, awful things are about to happen. When you see this person doing that. Now, what was that? There are a number of of possibilities that um, happened in history around this time. But rather than go into all of them, I'm just going to tell you which one is most likely. The most likely one is there was a group of religious zealots that were wanting to, well, they did, they revolted against Rome. Israel revolted against Rome in the late 60s AD. And this group of zealots, which uh, consisted primarily of a guy named John and a guy named Eliezer, they installed a chief priest, a high priest who wasn't of the family of high priests. He was an illegitimate high priest. And then they did things in the temple, committed sacrileges in the temple, things that they weren't supposed to that profaned the temple. That happened in 67 to 68 AD, which is two years before Rome laid siege to Jerusalem and then destroyed the temple, the very thing Jesus is talking about. So he tells the people, or tells the disciples, these four, when when you see this person, this high priest in this case, taking a position he shouldn't have that is going to profane the temple, get out of town. Because now it's about to get horrible. It's about to get really bad. And he, he tells them, he's told them that you, you, you're, you're going to be in front of these people, uh, you, you, you've done all this stuff, and in this abomination of desolation, get out. Don't waste time. I hope you're not pregnant or nursing because it's going to be even harder. Pray it doesn't happen in the winter because it's going to make it even harder to get through the valleys. In the winter, everything flooded. They had mountain rains and everything, all the little dry creeks, they all flooded, so it was hard to get around. Pray it doesn't happen then. Now, if Jesus were talking about him coming back at the end of time, the end of the world, would the, would the weather matter? The answer is no, it wouldn't. He's, he's clearly talking about when the temple is destroyed, when all of this happens. And as bad as it's going to be, as, as horrible as it will be, verse 20, it's going to be cut short for the believers. Primarily Jewish believers who have been facing the persecution in Jerusalem, but all believers, of course. It's going to be cut short so that they don't experience all the, uh, the years that, that could have occurred, the years of siege and destruction from, in this case, Rome, that could have occurred. It's going to be cut short for the believers. And then all this that happens, the, the, the destruction, the temple destroyed, all the persecution, he says in verses 21 through 23, 
It's going to be another opportunity for folks to deceive you. Because when do we want Jesus to show up most in our lives? When everything's going to heck, right? So as things get bad, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, well, before that, he says, folks are going to show up and they say they're me, they're not me. And then this horrible thing is going to happen. The temple is going to be leveled, which means Jerusalem is going to be leveled, which means Israel won't exist anymore, and it won't again until 1948. From 70 A.D. to 1948 A.D., Israel as a country did not exist. It's going to be bad, y'all, is what he's telling them. And when everything goes bad, you're gonna, there will be some of you that will want me to be back. And somebody will say, I'm him. No, he's not. Because that ain't when I'm coming. That's, that's not about me. That is about the temple. And then we get to verses 24 through 27. Jesus' return won't be clear. The temple, the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple will be clear. The temple's end will be clear. Jesus' return won't be clear. Here's where he switches. But in those days, often a phrase used to mean the end throughout Scripture. After that tribulation, not the great tribulation, not a technical term, but after all of that has been done... And he describes this, this cosmic sign of, of what's going on. It's, it's this typical, for the Old Testament and other places too, typical apocalyptic language to describe divine intervention. Could the sun literally be darkened and the moon not shed its light and the stars falling from the... Well, I'm pretty sure when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a lot of stu- crazy stuff happening. I mean, we're talking about the end of the world. So yes, that could actually be a literal description of what will happen when Jesus comes back. But what it isn't is a precursor. It coincides with, it doesn't foretell his coming. So when Jesus comes back, it's going to be sudden. And that's when the stars fall and the moon goes dark and the sun is black and all that. There's not a specific marker in history or in time that he gives. He just says, after the tribulation, after all that bad stuff, in those days, when those days come, I'm coming back. So at the very least, the people knew he wasn't coming back before the temple fell. But once that temple fell, folks started looking. Remember, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians because they wrote to him saying, hey, people, Christians are dying, and we thought Jesus was coming back before that. Are they going to get to go to heaven now that they're dead? It was, it was a confusing time. They thought Jesus was coming back then. We think Jesus is coming back now, and either one of them could have been true. But he didn't give us in verses 24 through 27 any specific marker, he just said, when I come back, it's all going to blow up. I'm going to blow this place up when I return. So he switched from temple to him, and now 
in verses 28 through 31, he goes back to the temple. He's talked about all the, all the signs. All these things are going to happen, right, in verses 3 through 23. And then he switches gears, but when I come back, it's going to be sudden, and it's all, all at once. It's going to be crazy. And then he says, signs precede the temple destruction. He's making a clear distinction here between what will have specific signs, destruction of the temple, and will not have specific signs, his return. He uses, uh, in this case, the lesson of the fig tree. You know, he says, when the fig tree leaves, it's summertime. That's a specific sign. You don't, it happens every year, and it has as long as we've been around. You know that's going to happen. That is what the signs of the temple destruction are going to be like. It will be clear. It will be obvious. And we know he's talking about the temple destruction in part because he uses two phrases that he used earlier. In verse 29, he says, In the same way when you see these things happening... And in verse 30, he says, We'll certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Those two phrases appeared last in verse 4. Tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Those two phrases reference temple destruction. So Jesus has said, now, put little markers. These things you are asking about, they'll be signs. Just like a fig tree tells you summer, the uh, abomination of desolation will tell you the temple's about to fall. You will know that. It won't be a question. And then he says, as a matter of fact, this generation, y'all, are going to be here when the temple is destroyed which would be in about 37 years from the time of this discussion. So very easy for a lot of those guys to still be alive. Are those guys still alive? The answer is no, they're not. So he can't be talking about his return. They all died, and he didn't come back yet. He's talking about the temple. The just generation will not pass away until the temple is destroyed. But, verse 32, now, though, concerning that day of the hour. And Jesus is going to tell the disciples that preparation precedes his return. Not, not signs. Preparation. Not charts and graphs. But, but preparation. Now concerning that day or hour. See, he's already nebulous. That day or hour. That, that, that time out there. I've given you the signs of the temple. You know when that will be. You, you will know it when it happens. But concerning this day or, or hour or whatever when Jesus comes back, nobody knows. Not a single person knows. The angels don't know. And at this moment, 
the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the, uh, person of the Trinity, who while on earth only got information from God as he needed it, only has pa- had power given to him as he needed to use it, at that moment, Jesus could look them in the face and say, right now, I don't even know when it's going to be. Jesus knows now. He knows as the second person of the Trinity, but he didn't know when he was on earth as a human because he set aside that knowledge so that he could look at his disciples and say, only God knows. So folks, why are we trying to figure out something only God knows? Well, we, we shouldn't. We, we, we shouldn't even try. What does Jesus tell us to do? What does Jesus say in this passage that we are supposed to do? He says it's like a man on a journey. Who do, what man do we know went on a journey, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, and gave a job to the servants to do while he was gone? It's the Sunday school answer, y'all. Jesus. Jesus went on a journey. End of Matthew, before he's taken up. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I commanded you. Make disciples. Luke tells it that right before he ascended, he said, I will give you power. Edda read it earlier. I'll give you power to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We have a job to do. The master went away and gave the servants a job. They were given work to do while the master was gone. Our work is to make disciples. Our work is also personal sanctification. We get closer to God and we take people with us as we do. That's the job. Let's find all the markers, all the signals in these verses that Jesus gives us for when he's going to come back. Let's see. Um, Be alert since you don't know. You don't know. That's not a good marker. When the master of house is coming, whether in the evening or the... Oh, it could be any time. Evening or midnight or... Oh, the crowing of rooster, otherwise when he comes suddenly. You don't know any time. Quick glance, I didn't find any markers. Did y'all see any? Any? And when this happens, I'm coming back. Did y'all see that? When Israel gets in a war with Hamas, I'm coming back. Did y'all see it? I didn't see that. When, when, when this guy writes a book, the late, great, wherever, then I'm coming. Nope. But what about the Mayan calendar? Nope. Well, what about that guy who studied it really a long time and he... Nope. But my, my aunt and uncle, they said... Mm-hmm, nope. Yeah, but they're... Nope. John Hagee in San Antonio? Nope. But a blood moon? Nope. You don't know. You don't know. And I guarantee you, I will put my entire fortune... <laughs> chuckle... That when somebody says it's going to be this day, this hour, this minute... It ain't going to be that day, hour, or minute. I will bet you all the way to Las Vegas. I know, I'm Baptist, I'm a preacher, I'm not supposed to be staying and stuff like that. I'll do it anyway. I will bet you all the way to Las Vegas, Jesus will not come that day. And I'll get rich. Because he ain't coming on the day you think he will. He's not going to. There's no marker, there's no signal, there's no command to look for one, there's no graph, no chart, no spreadsheet, no timeline, nothing. 
So we're not supposed to sit and try to figure out when he's coming back. But you know what we're also not supposed to do? Sit and do nothing waiting on him to come back. Don't let him find you sleeping. That may be the worst thing a boss can find you doing on the job. Sleeping. It's one thing to be sitting, looking at whatever, and, oh, I was, I was, re- I was studying for whatever. I was, you know, and, and everybody knows you were glazed over. Your eyes were open, but you were gone. You weren't there. But at least you looked like you were doing something. He's saying, don't, don't sit and wait on me to come back like you got nothing to do. I gave you a whole world to evangelize. And number two, you ain't perfect yet, so you got work to do on yourself. Personal sanctification, world evangelization. It's a small task, but that's our job. There's no time to make charts and graphs when there are people dying and going to hell right now. There's no time to worry about when Jesus might come back and put together the numbers and the, and the, and the, and the clues and all this. No, because we have a job to do. We are supposed to be working. How do you prepare for Jesus' return? What's your job? It's not to scour Revelation and figure out what the ten horns on the many-eyed person-looking thing mean and which country the ten horns is and what's the one horn that's uprooted and destroyed and who is Babylon there? And what's the woman and the dragon? Who's the dragon? And is the dragon... But how's it going to... No. Jesus tells these four disciples, some things are going to be obvious. These things you depend on, the things that you think matter, like your end times charts and graphs, They're worthless. The temple that you've depended on for hundreds of years and you think really matters. It mattered when God told you to build it because it was obedience. But now you have the one sacrifice, Jesus. This no longer matters. What matters is that you are obedient. You know what mattered to Israel with the temple? Obedience. You know what matters with us today after the temple? Obedience. You know what matters with anybody who trusts in Jesus across the planet? Obedience. Jesus is coming back to get all of them, he says. From the four corners to the ends of the winds. I'm going to get all mine. Our job is to help make more of his and to make ourselves more like him. How do we prepare for Jesus' return? Prepare my heart and prepare others. Be saved and be sanctified. You want to be ready when Jesus comes back? Give your heart to him. Trust him for your salvation. Read Revelation. I ain't telling you not to. 
I'm not even telling you not to discuss it and to wonder, what does this mean? And what, is, this, is this literal? Is it figurative? Do, do, is there going to be an actual millennium? Or is, are we in the millennium now? And is there a seven-year tribulation? And is there a rapture before or after or in the middle? And do all these things that were said, do they have to be fulfilled literally? Or are they fulfilled figuratively through the coming of Jesus and through the church? All those are great questions and great discussions to be had but not at the expense of preparing my heart and preparing others. Be prepared for Jesus' return. You can do that this morning. You can prepare yourself this morning by trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Romans 6.13 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The, the, the penalty, the, what we are owed, what we have earned is death. And that's all we've earned. We don't get anything else. We haven't, and, and we can't get anything else. Romans 6.13, Pat. Oh, 6.23, I'm sorry. Maybe that's why she wasn't uh, moving. It's because I was giving the wrong... Uh, given the wrong passage. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, what God has done for us, what God has provided for us, that we have to receive, doesn't matter what you've grown up in, it doesn't matter uh, what you know, it even doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe you're a sinner. You can believe Jesus is the Son of God. You can believe He died on the cross for your sins. You can believe that that gift is offered to you. The demons, James tells us, they believe in who Jesus is and they tremble, but they are not saved because they have not received, cannot receive, but have not received the free gift of salvation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's a transaction that has to take place. There is a reception that has to take place. You must receive the gift. This morning, you might want to receive the gift. That's the first step in preparation for Jesus coming. Because he will gather his elect. He will gather believers together. And we're told that if you have not believed... You're cast into the lake of fire. You're divided from sheep from goats, saved, unsaved. It will happen. So we prepare that way. But maybe you are a believer. And you need to prepare through sanctification. You need to get your heart right. You need to be obedient to God. You need to do a better job of helping to prepare others of making disciples of following the command the last thing he told us to do go and make disciples of all nations you will be my witnesses to jerusalem judea samaria and the ends of the earth you've got a job to do i'm coming back that's what the angel said when jesus went up into the clouds and acts what y'all standing around looking for you heard the man give you a job go do the job he's coming back eventually but you've got a job to do Church, why are you sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back? Why are you working on graphs and charts to figure out when it's going to be when he made clear you're not going to figure it out, but instead gave us the job? Preparing ourselves and preparing others. Let's get about the work of obedience.
Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have both made clear through your word what needs to be clear, and you have obscured what needs to be obscured. And Lord, may we never focus on the wrong thing. God, may we read your word where you tell us through the mouth of your son as he taught these four disciples, as he continues to teach us to be about the work and don't worry about the timing. We don't know it, we won't know it. It'll be sudden, could be any time. Do the work. Lord, may we do the work. And Lord, may we also trust you with the outcome of the work. May we see that you are the God of the work. You are who we need to follow as we do the work. Lord, fix our focus. Make it about Jesus and our obedience to him. Lord, you gave us your word to study, to grow us. But in this case, not to pick out markers and signs, but to show us you win. Jesus wins. And we have a job to do. God, may we be about the work of our job. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe you have a decision to make this morning, uh, a next step to take. You need to follow in, uh, in obedience to what Jesus is calling you to. Um, well, I changed my screen, so hold on. Uh, take up your cross. There we go. Leave your life. Follow him. Maybe you need to follow in baptism. You've trusted Jesus. You need to submit to God. You need to be more obedient. You need to join our church. You can share your decision with us this morning with a connection card or online. Maybe in this few moments, this is your opportunity to give, to worship through giving. You can scan the QR code. Boxes are in the back if you need to worship, want to worship in that manner. Whatever it is, this is your time to do it. These next few minutes as we stand, as we worship, as we give ourselves to the Lord and everything he's called us to give to him, you come you can pray with me down here, Chelsea on my left, three men along the back if you want to pray with them. Do work, do business with God this morning as we stand and as we sing and worship him.